welcome back to For Fan Tech Sake. I am your host, Zach Anderson Pettit, U.S. Content Director at Money 2020, and your host. I have two very esteemed guests today, two friends actually, my old friend Ethan Austin and one of the most inspiring and entertaining founders in the fintech game, Craig J. Lewis, CEO at GigWage, the man himself. Ethan is Chief Strategy Officer, and we actually met back when he was the Managing Director at Techstars Western Union. That's also a little bit of a hint as to how those two met in the first place. We'll get into that, what GigWage does, and dive deep on the payments for contractors in general. This conversation actually happened last year, but the content is still incredibly valuable. There are a couple of references that don't quite hold up, but the meat still has a ton of value. A lot of protein, you know? Basement tape kind of vibes. Without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Ethan and Craig at GigWage. All right, Craig, Ethan, welcome to For Fintech's Sake, my friends. How are we doing and where are we? Craig, you go first. How's the day going? Where are you calling from? Man, today's off to an amazing start calling from the beautiful, the elegant, the remarkable, and the wealthy Dallas, Texas. Woo! That was, ugh, you give me, give me goosebumps. Got me wanting to move to Dallas after that. That's what I'm talking about. Good start to, to Ethan, the day. I'm trying to get Ethan to move his fam down here. He'd that's, have to, not, that's not gonna. I just moved to Denver. <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. Ethan's a he's a glutton for punishment though, so I'm sure within like six weeks he'll be like, oh yeah, you know what? I need more more variability in life. I should move somewhere else, much warmer. I should move somewhere much warmer and keep. You should the live period. in Dallas in the summers. Why not? It yeah, it can't be bad. It can't be bad. Ethan, where are you at? We were just talking a little bit, but how's how's your day going? How's uh? I'll I'll even bury the lead. How's Denver? Denver is great. Uh, we were here as of a week ago from LA, uh, and I don't have as many adjectives for Denver. I'll say it's hot. It's about a hundred degrees right now. Nobody tells you till you get here that Denver is a desert, right? Everyone's like, Oh, it's mountains. It's a desert. So, uh, so it's good though. We're, we're good. We're getting air conditioners installed and everything. No, it's, it's mountain adjacent, but yeah, it's not what, it's not what a lot of people think it is. That's, that's for sure. Wow, high desert. <laughs> mile high desert exactly anyways well craig did a much better job on selling me on his city this time around but <laughs> anyway craig take me all the way back like you've been doing this payroll thing like since the beginning like even at adp like as your first job so take me yeah. take me back through your like at least a thumbnail sketch of kind of your sure. your career history yeah man i um uh, it's funny i uh you know, things always make sense, you know, hindsight when you're looking back at it. But yeah, no, uh, 2008, I believe I started ADP. It was a services company. So payroll services, delivering checks and like straight up people faxing in, emailing and calling in their, their payroll hours. And uh, it was very much a services behemoth, uh, make no mistake about it. Um, but as one of the top sales professionals, I ended up selling the first cloud-based product at ADP called ADP Run. And so it was you know, it was then that I saw the democratization of getting people paid. And I don't think I said it as eloquently back then, but uh, I was fascinated by what, you know, introducing this cloud-based technology did for my ability to sell. Um, and so it was kind of at that point, I spent decided to go all in on payroll technology. And so I spent the rest of my career just really chasing this 
uh, infatuation I had and this love that I have for helping people get paid. Um, and so I learned everything I could about payroll technology, uh, adjacent, you know, um, kind of ancillary things around payroll, which is everything, uh, HR, timekeeping, credit, you know, anything, and then the underlying technologies that powered them uh, until I discovered Silicon Valley. And I was like, okay, we need to introduce that to the payroll world. And uh, that's what kind of got me on this journey and, um, you know, got me to start this company seven years ago. I love it. Was was there something in your youth that you look back at that's like a seed of like, were you a three-year-old trying to like run payroll or like, did you have like an entrepreneurial kind of bug <laughs> as a kid? Were you, were you selling lemonade or anything? Uh, I was a hustler for sure. I was always selling something or trying to do will and do some kind of deal. Uh, but yeah, I, I've, I've kind of done the introspective thing and look back and it's, it comes down to money. Um, I've always been fascinated by it, never had a lot of it growing up, but I was just, I just like money. Uh, and then, you know, at 14 or 15, I, I got my first job and I, you know, I always tell people I lettered in two sports my freshman year in high school and I was in all honors classes and I did a lot of the extracurricular things you, you do in high school, but I also managed to work 30 hours a week because I just liked getting paid. Um, and so I think for me, that's probably been uh, the thing that I can tie back to is just, I just, I just love money and not like, oh, I, I mean, I'm making a lot of it and all that too, but just, I just like the concept of currency and exchange and value. Um, um, and then, you know, as you start to study it, you know, what that can do for your time and your family and all of these types of things. And so I think the, the constant for me or the common denominator is just money. Um, and so I figured the more people I can help get paid, maybe the more I can get paid economic freedom is a powerful thing, man. I love that you're open about it too. I think a lot of people in fintech are like, I do this for this community yeah. or, you know, I do this for the, it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's rare that you actually hear somebody admit like I do it because money, you know? And yeah, there's like a socioeconomic yeah. pieces and societal pieces of that, but like, let's be real. Sure. Money is important yeah. in this economy in which we live. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the multiples, right? If you say you're a financial services company you get a great multiple because it's money. But if you say you're a fintech, ooh, you get a real multiple, right? And, 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 and all of these people who are talking about, you know, impacting underserved communities and all of the, the mission-driven stuff, which we, we have that too, uh, make no mistake about it, uh, they, they know what game and what sector they've chosen to play in, and they've chosen it for a very specific reason. That is that is a fact and a beautiful transition into this this bearded fellow that we also have on the line, <laughs> Ethan, one of your early investors. So, Ethan, give me a little bit of your background. Give me how you guys met and maybe even like, uh, you know, why you why you got Craig into the accelerator back when you were at Western Union Techstars. Yeah, so my background, so I was an operator for a long time. I, I started a company in 2008 called Give Forward. We helped pioneer the, the crowdfunding space and built up the first medical crowdfunding platform and did that for about eight years, helped people raise about 200 million on there. Um, and then transitioned into investor role, helped launch Techstars LA. And then the last two years was, was launched uh, Techstars Western Union program, which was a FinTech program. Um, so I was doing that for two years and, you know, I don't know how we met Craig. I think um, uh, when I, someone down, you know, we were going down to Austin. Shaq going down to, what's that? Shaq. Shaq, Shaq, that's right. We were going down to Austin, and I asked uh, a buddy, Shaq, who, who, who we should meet with down there, and he said Craig, and I didn't even know Craig was in Dallas. Like, <laughs> I was having a barbecue down in Austin. He didn't show up, but, like, I think we connected on LinkedIn a little bit later, and I was telling him about the program, and um, 
and it was just really dope what he was doing, you know? So I was like, this would be cool if you, you know, you got into the program and, um, and I think we got lucky with, with Craig, you know, just like timing wise, um, you know, in terms of like getting him to the program, it was, it was, I kept selling him and selling him. And, you know, we said like, Hey, uh, you know, like, you know, if you don't do this, you don't do it. Like, let's be friends no matter what. Cause I, I just thought Craig was cool. He was an interesting guy who's had a big vision and, uh, um, you know, Craig, Craig thought, you know, thought it through. He thought about like the international expansion around Western Union, what that could mean for, for gig wage and, you know, ultimately decided to do it. And, and honestly, like uh, after he accepted, he got his series A term sheet from, from Green Dot. And now I, I remember getting that call just being like, all right, here's the other shoe going to drop. Like, I, all right, just tell me, Craig, you're not doing it. I get it. I know it's going to happen. I'm not disappointed. I'm an adult. And it didn't drop. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm still doing it. Um, and so, it was just really cool. It was just like, um, it's a really special company. And, you know, I was super excited when, when they came to do the program. So. Yeah. I, I remember, I don't know if you remember Craig, cause mentor madness is madness, but I remember the first time that we met and it was, it was Ethan asking me to come and talk to some, some people about some FinTech stuff. And I was just kind of like, you know, being a managing director previously myself, I was of course going to do anything Ethan asked me to do. And I met some interesting folks and I met some good companies, but then I met Craig Lewis and I was like, oh shit, this is on a different level. Like we, you were the only one that I met with that day that had already raised their series a, but just was being quiet about it to get through the accelerator, you know, and to take advantage of the relationship with Western union. So you were definitely, uh, I don't know, kudos, kudos to Ethan for getting you into that program. But Ethan, you had what you were, um, you were a director or an MD in Techstars for like over, over three years, I four think. Four years, four years. Four years. So that's at least 40 companies, probably 50 that you invested in that came through your program that, you know, in and out and you joined one. What is it about? I mean, I guess we all, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have a soft I, spot I, for Craig, but like, what is it about gig wage that really pulled you in? Yeah, there was, there was, you know, three or four different things. First, you know, there's Craig, like, you've never heard anyone introduce Dallas the way he introduced Dallas, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like, like Craig is a unique beast, right? He's just a special person. Um, and you don't see that often. Like we always say at Techstars, we're investing in people, right? People yep. and teams, like that's what you're investing in. And so like Craig, Craig was just special. Like, and, and this wasn't at the time, but I've, you know, since being at the company, I've seen him like the unique ability to go high and go low, right? Get in the weeds and then, and then think it like 30,000 feet, connect all the dots. It's just, just like a unique special CEO. So that was, that was part of it, right? Was, was Craig. Um, I was just like, you know, I want to hitch, hitch my wagon to this guy. He's doing some great things. Yeah. Um, second piece was, was impact, right? So I came from the impact world. I came from um, a world where we were helping people raise money for their loved ones, medical expenses. And I've always, you know, all the companies I invested in, in tech stars, about 40% of them were doing, you know, something in financial inclusion, right? So that, that has a, a big piece of my heart right there. And so like, um, you know, so this has ability to impact people like in a, in a major way, right? Our, our purpose at gig wage is economic empowerment. And you think about people who are living on the margins, like we can actually meaningfully help them day to day. Um, and fundamentally, like believe like if someone's doing a, you know, a day's honest labor, like they deserve to advance in this world and, and we can help that happen, right? So there's impact and then there's impact at scale, right? Um, and, and I think this company has the ability to do that. Um, and, 
you know, we talk about money, right? Like, like money is part of it. Like, it's not just like, if, if we have impact at scale, I make money, right? Like, like I was thinking about my, my financials. Like, so I ever ran a company for eight years. We thought we were going to have a big exit. And then one day the, the rug got pulled out from under us. Facebook changed an algorithm. We relied on Facebook for all of our revenue. They tried to recruit us as product managers to build out the exact same thing. And then they built out the exact same thing. So our company died without having the exit we all anticipated. And so financially, I'm also looking at like, what is my best path to providing for my family? And I saw this opportunity, you know, and when Craig was pitching me originally, or not pitching, you know, I was talking, we were talking, you know, he's telling me about the future, the vision of this company of like being the bank of the gig economy. And, and I'd heard so many pitches of, you know, neobanks, everyone wants to be a bank. And, you know, you know, because being, being a bank is a good business, right? Yeah. It's not bad being a bank, um, but it's hard, right? There's a lot of people out there and it's hard to become the bank. Customer acquisition is expensive. And, and this was the first time I'd heard a pitch with payroll as a wedge that was really, really interesting. And I was like, huh, I never, I mean, I never heard of, I never heard that. And I was like, I was like, this is, this is possible, right? So like we could, start with payroll and build on all these other financial services on top of it. Um, and we could become the bank. And it's, and it was the first time I'd heard so many pitches of we're going to be the bank. We're going to be the bank. And I just never believed them. It's just your odds are so you're just up against odds. It's hard. And so this was a narrative that I believed in the trends all point into the right place. And then Craig was just such an impressive individual that I was like, I believe this person can execute against this vision. Uh, that yeah. was a long answer, but that was a lot of, you know, it was, it was Craig, it was impact, impact at scale, money, you know, and, and this unique kind of strategy that I hadn't heard before. Yeah. I mean, Anna was, Anna was probably timing. I can't hear it, Craig. What is it? Oh, I didn't know if y'all heard these sirens in the background, man. No, I figure it's being <laughs> Dallas. I assume a crane hit something or something <laughs> out there. It's like a Tom, Tom Cruise the movie. Siren, the sirens were going off because I was talking too long. <laughs> nah, nah, man, you were spitting that fire, so the fire truck was going crazy. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, so I know I know the two of you probably too well to be doing this interview without setting the stage a little bit better because I just want to go into all the details of everything that Ethan just said. And I haven't even asked you the question, Craig, what is gig wage? So let's yeah. like go, let's go back and start from that. What is gig wage? What was the founding thesis? Like, tell it, tell us that piece. Yeah. So, so we spent like two and a half, two, two and a half years trying to do a different payroll thesis, um, which I still tell people to this day, is like a great idea. And like, now it's probably a better time to do that idea than, you know, seven years ago. But um the the pivot came when I read this article from McKinsey about the global independent workforce, aka the gig economy. And through all my payroll kind of interactions, which were many, I used to brag that I had the, this is a weird thing, but I used to say I had the top, I had one of the top five payroll Rolodexes in the world. Uh, hmm. Any CEO at any payroll company, any major player in the payroll space, I could shoot them a text. You know, whether that was like, ADP or like the head of payroll at Starbucks, right? Like I just knew everybody in payroll. Um, and I had seen every payroll niche you could think of. And I've always bragged that there you could been build 10 other payroll companies the size of ADP without really running into ADP. That's how big the market is. And I've identified multiple 
payroll niches where you can build these robust, massive, multi-billion dollar businesses. But the one thing I hadn't saw was someone, this again was 20, late 2016, no one had said they were going to be the payroll company for the gig economy. Hmm. And I was like, I was like, that might be it, right? Like, you know, Uber was kind of had reached maturation and Lyft and everybody was talking about the DoorDashes and, and Grubhubs of the world. Uh, and all of these companies were raising tons of venture capital and building out all of their own infrastructure primarily, right? Or partnering directly with banks. And, and I thought there was a services opportunity to be the payroll company for the gig economy. And so that was really the original idea was, can we help businesses pay contractors, freelancers and any kind of 1099 worker? So uh, we've evolved since then. Um, obviously, the, the, we're, we started as the payroll company for the gig economy as a wedge into now becoming the bank of the gig economy. But what we are is, is, is very much payment infrastructure for you know, the modern workforce, right? Um, very much what Stripe has done for e-commerce, what ADP has done for W-2 workers, GigWage is doing for this kind of new way of working. And so how money moves through the entire industry, through your entire company, so we take into accounts, accounts receivables, banking, accounts payable, W-9 to 1099 compliance in the U.S., so on and so forth, um, debit cards, banking tools. So all that payment and financial infrastructure you could possibly need as a, a contractor dependent business, uh, which is a term I think we may have coined at GigWage. I don't, I, don't, I don't think anybody else really operates around contractor dependent businesses, mm -hmm. contractor powered businesses, but that's what GigWage is. We help... And, and again, to summarize that, we help businesses pay people. Um, and we've just got a specific focus on the 75 million people in the US, 100 plus million, 150 million you know, globally, four and a half trillion dollars paid out last year to, to independent workers globally. Damn. We, wanna help, we wanna help improve the efficiency of how that money moves uh, so that more of it moves. So in the, there's a, there's a lot of, hype in this space right to your point there there's all this similar to what we were seeing back in the day with uber and doordash and lyft and you know the, that whole piece of just in creating these opportunities to make money now it seems like this hype is pivoted to how do we get them paid right and how yep. how do we be the bank for this gig economy like you said but there's other folks that are coming at it from this b2c angle there's a lot of different kind of ways of skinning the cat i guess yep. to use a really old broke ass term okay. um but have you thought of the infrastructure as the go-to-market from the beginning? Like, have you always thought like we want to be that back end or in the early days, were you ever thinking like, we want to be the B2C like bank for the gig economy? Yeah. How did that start? No, it was never B2C. Uh, that was the thing we avoided. And that was the thing and when we pivoted, I saw like everyone was trying to get services directly to the workers. And the unique insight that we had was that this is, um, it's an important part of your workforce, but it's a unique part of your workforce. And ultimately it should be viewed as a part of your workforce, right? For our customers, this is the vast majority of their workforce. So wouldn't it make sense that you have some workforce management infrastructure in place for these people that do work for your company? So instead of everybody going directly to the gig workers, freelancers and contractors, which makes sense because of classification and all of that stuff, our unique insight was, hey, this is a part of your workforce. Let us help you pay and manage these people. Um, and so once we started doing that, we thought about it as basic payroll at first, but again, then we realized you needed to be able to pay people quickly and, and, and instantly and on demand. And, you know, and then once we started the headless banking boom, it kind of happened, right? Where everybody was trying to embed banking into some company or some app, 
Well, we kind of did it to ourselves. Once we embedded banking into our payroll and payments application, that's where the infrastructure vision kind of came to, right? I was like, oh, wait, if everybody's doing all of these transactions, there's no infrastructure in place. People don't have a, like when you, you could talk to a hundred companies and they're all paying their contractors a hundred different ways, right? So what that tells us is there's no infrastructure for it. People are duct taping it and piecemealing it together. You talk to a million contractors, they get paid a million different ways. Uh, you ask them, how do they pay for their benefits? They pay for it a million different ways. Where do they get credit from? And so there's just no infrastructure. And once we started looking at embedded banking and like really powering how money moves, we were like, ah, infrastructure play all day, right? And it's still, we still have an application layer for sure, right? We've got a lot of market education to do. We've got a lot of continued building to do. But all of these transactions, that 4.5 trillion has to happen somewhere. Why not us? So talk to me about the, the integration. And I don't know how much time Ethan's spending on this versus you guys kind of together on the strategy of this, but digging into it, I mean, it seems like one of the things that you've tried to do is make it so easy it hurts to be able to sign up for and integrate with GigWage. And coming from an infrastructure background myself a little bit with Bond, I know the pain to making things easy. Uh, so what, is, what has that been like to make that, to get to the point where you're at with this integration? How do you do the integration? Kind of like educate some folks on that if they were maybe wanting to sign up with GigWage to help pay sure. folks. Sure. So one of the things about it, right, <clears throat> it's kind of like we eat our own dog food, right? So we start off with a web application. And so... You think about payroll, you sign up and you pay people. Um, so for us, we because the infrastructure doesn't exist, we've got to be able to meet people where they are. So for small and medium-sized businesses and even some large kind of legacy businesses, a lot of them interact with GigWage through a web application. The businesses do. We talk about the 10 and the 10,000. So the 10 people responsible for paying the 10,000. They will log in and they have access, teams, permissions, a lot of that kind of enterprise-grade technology that you would want. Um, through a web application. Uh, and then over time, what we realized were a lot of people wanted to own their own experience and automate. And so we also have, you know, really comprehensive but simple API documentation for developer-first organizations to, um, you know, consume our API. Um, you know, now we're at the point where you can completely embed our API and run an end-to-end -end process, not only for the 10, but also for the 10,000, and nobody ever has to know we exist, um, right? And so, so that's a really powerful piece and we're continuing to build out on that. Um, and that's really where we're at in the transition stage now, as we look at different partners and uh, different providers to integrate with, is really building out the robustness of our API so that it can be direct to consumer. We can kind of go the distribution channel, two-way integrations, et cetera. Uh, but it's still important to meet people where they are, right? You got what I call middle America companies that are contract powered by contractors. They're never gonna consume our API. <laughs> and they need they're they're going to log in and they're going to want to do you know custom csvs and all of this kind of stuff that's all a part of infrastructure too um and so we're just meeting these people where they are and bringing them what they need to compete in a modern work economy yeah it's interesting that you say that my mom i i often use the my mom test when i'm having these conversations and my mom runs a yoga studio and since the pandemic she's had to shut down her kind of in-person experience that she had a nice little spot she could have like 20 people there and now she's doing it all online and she always had trouble 
getting paid because it's just a hard thing. She's been taking checks like, you know, it's just a hard thing. But now that she's doing it online, she's calling me. She's asking how Stripe works. She's, you know, trying to find that solution. And what you're saying sounds a lot like that, where it's it needs to fit the my mom test where she can sign up for it, pay her contractors. But also it sounds like if she were to build, you know, if she were mind body or something and she were building the largest business out there in that specific space of yoga or whatever it is that you also want to meet them where they live too. So who is a really good example. Our very first customer ever in the history of gig wage when we pivoted was a yoga studio in DeSoto, Texas. Uh, And they're not a customer anymore because they pivoted. They were paying seven yoga instructors uh, weekly, I believe. And then they pivoted to a model to where the yoga instructors could rent the space. And so they didn't need to pay them anymore. So they didn't use gig wage in that in the same way. Uh, so that was our very first customer. Uh, you mentioned MindBody. Today, uh, those are the types of conversations we're having too, but we haven't forgot about the yoga studio owners either. So we're probably the most comprehensive and most robust platform out there. Uh, but you know, as a venture-backed company, Series A, moving swiftly towards our Series B, we're hyper-focused around a lot of the tech-forward marketplaces uh, that would be looking to consume our API in the end. That's where a lot of our resources are happening now, but we don't turn small businesses away by any means. Yeah, I mean, I know both of you have a big heart for that. Ethan, as a chief strategy officer, how do you, how do you balance everything that Craig just said with not chasing squirrels, right? Like, how do you, how do you balance selling to a, a mind body as an example, right? A big organization with like this one-off thing, one-off person, my mom, right. That's not going to make you a ton of money, but she probably needs, needs the help. Right. So how, how do you balance that as a, as a CSO? Well, let's just say we're a startup. So there's plenty of chasing squirrels, right? Let's, yeah. let's everyone, everyone does that, right? Let's just be honest here. But like what we do, you know, like we think about it from like a strategic standpoint, you know, our chief product officer recently, you know, dove real deep and had the whole company dive real deep into segmentation, thinking through who is it that we really want to be selling to? Why do we want to be selling to? Who is it like the, the biggest need? And let's really start to focus on that because there's only so many hours in the day, right? Um, and so it's 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 kind of going back to, you know, pulling back to to that, to you know, to that exercise and and trying to stay focused as a team um, because there's always millions of opportunities that come, it's, it's endless. Um, and just trying to stay focused on that and, and, you know, keep driving that forward. How big, how big is the team now? How big is GigWage? We're about 25 people. We were, we were about six people when, when I came on in, in November and we spent the last, you know, six months just planning process people, right? Just building up the company, finding the right people, finding awesome talent to, to go out and now really just, you know, sell. Like we spent a lot of time setting up the scaffolding to like really get out there and go do this. And now, now we're kind of going full steam ahead. How, I mean, speak, speaking of that scaffolding, and I guess this is kind of a question for the both of you, how do you build the, the cultural scaffolding and like the, the why scaffolding inside of the company when y'all haven't even met, right? Like the, <laughs> at the end of the day, like you two have never sat in the same room together. Craig, I'm sure that a lot of the new employees you're, you know, having on Zoom, you're like, I don't, it's just, it's different, right? So how, how do you go about kind of conveying that why getting everybody running in the same direction and building a culture that kind of 
has that rallying cry when you can't even meet somebody in person. Yeah, I'll let Ethan take this because coming from Give4, where they were, I think, an in-office kind of pretty localized startup to running a global, one of the things I loved about Ethan coming in was he, he literally ran a global accelerator virtually, Yeah. right? So hundreds of mentors, hundreds of investors, 10 uh, companies from all over the world. He literally ran that virtually. Um, and then, so coming into Gigways, we, I, I don't know if you remember, Ethan, we had the conversation. Ethan was like, man, last time I was really an operator, you know, we were all in the same office. So this, this virtual thing is gonna be interesting. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You literally just ran a global accelerator virtually and managed corporate partners. And, you know, and, and I think it, it was an interesting kind of moment for both of us. Um, but I think, you know, Ethan's had a big hand in that now. So it'd, it'd be, I'd let him take this one for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, and the funny thing about running the last program that was global, it was, I think, you know, from a, you know, where, where the companies will end up, you know, on exits and on a balance sheet, you know, one day, um, probably the best program in, in my four years at Techstars. And, and that's in part because of all the same dynamics of like what, what the world looks like today. You can grab talent from anywhere. Yeah. Like, like we had a lot of people who, would, who wouldn't be able to come to Denver before because of families and whatnot, you know, like come through the program. And so we got really amazing companies. And, and I think that's true of, of GigWage right now. We're getting really amazing talent from all over the place. The other part of, of that program in the last year is probably the, the least fun and least connected because we never saw each other in person. There's something really special about that bonding experience when you're in person. And so I told Craig that was like, like you know, what I was a little bit scared of. And I think as you're coming together as a team virtually, and I, you hear this from all, all sorts of teams, remote teams, trying to figure out how to do culture now, right? And I don't think anyone's really solved it yet but we have we brought in this amazing person that craig knew from from we work um who who's i think doing a fantastic job she's she's uh her name is carolina leading like people and culture and a lot of this stuff that we're doing i think comes down to a couple of things one is communication and repetition um we spent some time in the beginning defining some of our core values we spent time defining our purpose all these things that craig sold me on that hadn't been articulated like hmm. codified right they, he knew him in his head like there's a reason I joined the company but like we hadn't articulated them or codified them and so we spent a little bit of time on that in the beginning um and you know I think now what it comes down to is spending time together right like is um not working right like those those moments when we're not working those those happy hours those team lunches those things that are you know just people kind of goofing around, not working um, and to build trust and like teamwork and like just knowing each other and then repetition of the things that we are solidifying, right? Those, those, you know, the purpose, vision, values, the plan. And I think that, you know, it comes down to communications and, and it's not easy. I don't think we have it mastered by any stretch of the imagination. We're constantly trying to get better at that and improve on that and figure out how as an organization we can be most aligned from our investors to our, to our leadership team, all the way down to our interns. And so that everyone's rowing in the same direction. And, and it's something we talk about weekly, like saying, hey, you know, we're making this big shift right now. It's gonna come down to communication. So it's, it's nothing we've solved yet. And I think it's the same thing as every startup, but it's something you know, we're, we're working on every single day. 
yeah i mean startups are hard newsflash right i mean there's always gonna be, there's always going to be something i think any md uh who has a, a background anything close to ours knows that it ain't easy uh what are the corporate values what what are the the values that you codified through that process i'd love to love to hear them yeah i can tell you or, or craig could tell you but in, in the first the first one you know was so we did you know and this is unusual right we started off with just two values we didn't want to have a long list of values like values are only as good as you know to the point that you live them yep. if you don't live them people get jaded what's the point of having them so we said let's start with two that we feel good about and and as we feel good that these are organic these that they aren't aspirational we're going to continue to add more right and as we were building our team from six to 25 we wanted to have you know the rest of the team contribute to these as well right so so we started off with just two and the first one was lead with empathy mm-hmm. um which is everything that we do right and it's easy we think about that from all aspects of the company but it's easy to think about it from from the aspect of the end user right the end user might be someone who's living at the margins like struggling to get by and you know one bad thing happens to them you know car breaks down kidneys you know to go to the hospital and all of a sudden they're in a bad place and so trying to view the world through the lens of empathy whether it's for our users whether it's for our customers whether it's for our employees vendors every single stakeholder is the very first thing that that drives this business. Yeah. Um, the the second is um, move with commitment. And when when we when I invested in, in GigWage, GigWage was a six year old company, and there are not many TechStars companies. I never invested in a company at, at the TechStars stage that was six years old. Right now we're at the Series A level, um, but Craig had been at GigWage for a while. Like whereas most people would have bolted long ago. Right, like smart people, like lots of opportunities. Craig was committed to this thing, and 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 when we say like move with commitment, we don't mean you have to be committed to gig wage. What we mean is you must be able to commit to something in your life, whether that is your craft, um, whether that is something outside. You like to do marathons, right? The ability to commit and be disciplined and focused around something to get us to a place of excellence. Um, and, and so we don't say you, you gotta be committed to gig wage, that'd be crazy, but you gotta be able to commit to something and, and, and be great at that. That's really interesting. I love the first piece of empathy. It's almost like the, I forget who it is, but it's one of those, you know, like lifetime rules of curiosity, not judgment, right? And especially in a financial world, like living in Kansas City as an example, right? The payday lending capital of the world. I think there's a lot of, judgment associated with why did you walk into that check cashing place? Right. And it's like, you don't know their life. You don't know why they walked in there. You don't know what happened to get them to that point. Maybe it is financial education, but it's probably like 6,000 other variables that come from the education system and everything else. Right. So I love that one. And the commitment thing is really interesting. I don't think I've ever heard. I don't think I've ever heard that as a corporate value before. That's really interesting. Cause normally it's like, you know, integrity and bullshit, but those two are actually, (laughs) You know, those two are memorable and I believe them. Like I actually, if I was joining the company, I'd be like, okay, I can, I can recite these because there's two and I actually can like manifest them in my head with some sort of an example. So what are you two committed to? What are, what are your commitments? Obviously Craig is pretty damn committed to gig wage after a number of years, but how does that manifest in your guys' life? Yeah. I mean, for me, yeah. 
I, I take it, I, I actually take it pretty literal. <laughs> like actually hmm. literally moving with commitment. Sometimes I'm like, why are you walking from here to there so slowly? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like get there, Craig. Uh, no, man, I'm, I'm, you know, for me, I'm, I'm committed to being the best version of myself that I could possibly be. And, you know, when I first say that, a lot of people think it's like a very selfish statement and, and, and maybe it is, but I think the, th- the thing that I can do that is best for the people that are in my world in my ecosystem is be the best version of myself, right? If I'm the best version of myself, if I'm committed to that, that means I'm a great father. That means I'm a great husband. That means I'm a great CEO to the company. That means I'm a great steward of my investors capital. That means I'm a great son, what, you know, whatever it may be. And so for me, that kind of self-improvement and that excellence that, that Ethan kind of talked about striving towards, as an organization, I, I look, that's what I think about personally. Like I'm, and so when I sign up to do something, albeit, you know, whether it be a task or, you know, some big strategic play we have, I'm committed to it. Um, and I'm committed to doing it at the highest levels. Uh, and, you know, for me, the biggest one and the obvious one is building this company uh, and bringing in people to help build this company. Um, but I think it, it has to really be part of every fiber of who you are, right? Like to Ethan's point, like if you're going to do something, do it, you know, um, and, you know, one of the other words that, that kind of circled around commitment was conviction, mm. right? And like when we were doing some of those, some of those, um, <clears throat> some of those processes and practices around figuring out our initial values. So I just moved with the commitment and conviction and also, empathy is another one, right? Like, I think every relationship I have in my life, I try to lead with a lens of empathy. Uh, the thing I've found necessary to say, though, is that is not a replacement for accountability. Mm. Um, you know, just because we're empathetic and just because I can understand where you're coming from or that you may be going through other things or X, Y, Z, A, B, C, that does not mean uh, there's not accountability. And I think that also ties to the commitment piece, right? And so, you know, we, we lead with the lens of empathy. I lead with the lens of empathy. But, you know, when you're trying to do something special, um, when you're trying to do something at scale and impactful uh, and take a different approach, it takes accountability. It takes commitment. It takes conviction. And oftentimes, a lot of those phrases, people get a little uncomfortable, right? Because mm-hmm. that's like, hey, that's like you're looking in the mirror here. And, you know, it's easy to lean into some of the stuff you talked about with other corporate values, integrity and you know, some of those terms that people use because those feel good. Like, yeah, right. like, yeah, you know, Easy. I want to be this and I want to be that. <laughs> uh, but let's, you know, like, you, you know, I, when, if I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a truth teller, if I'm not anything else, building a startup is really freaking hard. Yeah. And it's going to take some hard work. Um, you know, we go above and beyond, you know, we're talking about culture here and I may be going on a tangent a bit, but I was actually thinking about this, you know, Ethan and Carolina and team do an amazing job. I think we are really a provocative, forward-thinking, culture-setting organization. We're doing a lot of things that are cool, and there are a lot more cool things going uh, to come down the pipe. I I am excited about those because those are the types of places people really like to work at, right? Um, But I think there's an other side of that conversation that's really important. We have to build a company that can support those things. Mm. And that just... It ain't perfect and it ain't pretty um, and it takes commitment. And, and the reason conviction is important is because shit will get hard. It's just going to get hard and it's going to get messy. Innovation is messy. And so we have a lot of great policies and baseline stuff that we put in place. But I also I want to encourage you know, our team and others that are building cultures to understand that it ain't perfect. 
Um, and it's going to be some good days and some bad days. And you're not going to be able to execute on the culture every single day because some of this shit is just hard. And sometimes there's only one way to get through it and that's to go through it. Right. And so yeah. uh, having that balance is also important. Right. Um, everything can't be, you know, I love Ethan told me when they, when he, you know, they were very mission driven at Give Forward. Almost too much. Uh, right. Because it's a business <laughs> too, right? There's a mission, but you've got to build a business that can support that mission. You've got to build a business that supports that culture and to build a business is really hard. And it takes something that don't always feel good. You know, when they, they talk about uh, people, uh, you know, artists and stuff, you got to carve mm-hmm. some, some of those beautiful things that you see people uh, sell for millions of dollars you got to scrape and carve and that, that is uncomfortable, but that's what, you know, he says scaffolding, right? Building a business is hard. And so along the path of us building this culture, we want to be transparent and we want to be honest that, Oh, Hey, we got to build a business at 25 people that can support this culture at scale. And, and, and I think, I think we're doing a decent job of that, but that's something we're continuing to lean into. I mean, I appreciate the honesty and also I think it's something that the world needs to hear more of because this, this term culture, right? It's kind of loaded with, from my perspective, at least fluff, it's loaded with like rainbows and flowers and, you know, and oh, good feelings inside. But Goldman Sachs is kind of famous for a culture that is maybe not that, but it's a culture, right? Like Lehman Brothers had a culture, which maybe we don't need to go into the Lehman Brothers (laughs) stuff, but all of these organizations, like Bernie Madoff even had a culture, right? Everybody has a culture. Exactly. So I think the, the idea that, you know, those two cultural values that you guys have, yes, they are generally positive, but also, as you said, they do require accountability and it is, we're adults, right? And if you're running a business and you're getting paid a salary, the output needs to be correlated with some kind of input that you are, that you are creating. And I don't think that's something we need to run away from. And I yep. think it's, it's what creates, I also think like this idea of like a high performance culture often gets misconstrued into like, oh, it's a, like, it's a meat grinder or something, you yeah. know, but that's startups. Like, how do you get from series A to series B, if not some hard conversations, some tough times and like trudging through the fire? Exactly. Yeah. It sounds like we're on the same page. Um, Okay. So last couple questions. One of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking about scaffolding, are there, I know you guys have payment optionality as a big part of the product. And that includes things like ACH and kind of standard ACH, slightly quicker ACH. What are the pieces of infrastructure that like you think are still necessary to get gig wage even further like do you think that rtp or something like that is going to give you guys like a 10x step forward or do you think it's more a matter of just like executing on the plan you have like are there policy pieces regulatory pieces that you think will help you over the next i don't know 10 years yeah the 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 piece i mean yeah rtp is great faster payments in the uk all that good stuff i think those are table stakes um i don't think they give us 10x anything uh, but what, what I think is interesting, and we'll see how this plays out, but I think international rails become really important for us from a 10x perspective, like the ability to add those international capabilities um, around banking and, you know, payment types and payment speeds. Um, and then also the, you know, the, the kind of consumer side of this, which is the debit card and mobile wallets, that those are pieces we don't have today, we will have by the end of the year. 
So those are the two big ones. And then in the back of my mind, in this really fun place, crypto and blockchain just keep keep surfacing. And I feel like, you know, our CTO and our chief product officers, they are both big, big blockchain crypto heads. And I'm like, when are we going to start bringing some of that to gigways? What's up? Well, you know, but again, to your point about chasing squirrels and shiny balls, when it matters, it'll matter. Um, but yeah, the top two that come to mind for me, and it'd be interesting to hear Ethan's take on this, but I think it's international uh, and then the consumer banking piece uh, with, a, you know, again, a caveat of crypto somewhere down the line. I like that caveat of crypto somewhere down the line. I see what <laughs> the, the back of Craig's head is just like, a, it's just like Satoshi's back there, just, yeah, just cranking, like, oh, cranking oh, away. There's a real crypto play here somewhere. <laughs> it seems like there is. I, that is a conversation we got to continue at some point. Uh, but Ethan, what's, what's your perspective? My perspective is what you kind of said is like, I think 2020 was a banner year for, for gig wage and all these things came together, like both macro and micro to set us up to a point where if we go out and execute, we can ex we can go kill it, right? So, you know, the startups don't grow by 200% a year, 200% a year, 200% a year, 200% a year, and you become a unicorn one day. Like very few startups are like that. More, more often than not, it's you grow a couple hundred percent a year and you have a big, huge, giant leap, 10x year. And so you unlock these things and we're at that inflection point right now. And I think, you know, it talks about Craig's doing this for seven, you know, going on six, seven years and like, we built up this huge, huge experience in the SMB. And, and over time, we've built up bigger and bigger customers. And we've unlocked bigger and bigger customers. And, and to the point that, that now we can unlock these giant deals. And you know, we're in the room for these giant deals because no one else out there is building for 1099s. And you'd be surprised that like, the, the, the mom and pop shop who's duct taping bubblegum and the, the big old corporation who has to figure out how to pay 1099s because there's no, no thing designed for paying 1099s, they're doing duct tape and bubble gum too. And so the fact that we are in these conversations with big enterprise is I think the thing that a lot will allow us to 10X um, really quickly outside of a specific technology piece or something in the stack. It's, it's just unlocking a bigger customer because the need for them is so great and no one else is doing this. And it's so multifaceted, right? I mean, recently I had uh, Trent Bigelow, who's the CEO of Abound and a very good friend of mine and actually was in Fountain City FinTech, the first class, shout out. Um, but it, they're even just the idea of tax withholding, right? Like that in and of itself is this huge problem that needs to be solved. And you guys are talking about this thing that's even more like overarching on top of that. So yeah, yeah. Like, Trent, Trent's great. I know Trent well, been in the offices in San Francisco. Like for us being that infrastructure play and it's part of his business model too, right? Like, but that would be a piece to the equation, right? That could sit on top of our rails, interact with our, you know, contractors, et cetera. Uh, and, and shout out to Trent too. Uh, I, I heard he had a good call with our my, my uh, chief of staff uh, the other day about uh, outside initiative he's working on that I think is pretty cool for the 1099 economy. Um, but yeah, man, like it's comprehensive. That's why I said we are the most comprehensive and complete end-to-end -end solution in the gig economy because you could build big businesses off of just sections of this thing. And so our bet is that those sections intertwine and interact and get built on top of gig wage at scale. Yeah. It's like the new version of go West. Young man is rebundle young man, rebundle. <laughs> yeah, 
we rebundle. We unbundle to rebundle. We rebundle to unbundle. Yep. All right. The final question is what can the listener base of, in this case, for fintech's sake, and I suppose interchange, do to help you guys? Hiring, uh, looking specifically for specific folks or intros to VCs or whatever. What can the what can the listener base do to help you guys? come our way and use gigways customers 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 small businesses medium-sized businesses tech startups anybody paying from anything from one freelancer to a hundred thousand gig workers send them our way come one come all craig said anything but that i was gonna i was gonna jump in but i'm like there's no way craig's saying anything but that customers 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 that's all we want help with we got everything else we rocking and rolling bumping our heads and figuring it out we want more customers to learn from and help. I love it. Well, I'll make sure to put links to where to where to become a customer and all that in the show notes. I appreciate you guys. Ethan, it's been way too long, man. Craig, it's good to talk to you again. This is this has been fun. And I hope uh, I hope this year brings us all together in some city. Maybe, maybe Austin or something later this year. We can all maybe even meet and be in person. Yeah, yeah. There's all kind of stuff coming up too, man. Zach, you got Money 2020 coming up. You know, uh, it's all kind of stuff coming up, man. Let's pull up on me. All right, man. Hanging in Vegas. We're hanging in Vegas. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Craig and Ethan from GigWage. You may have noticed by some of those jokes at the end why I might just be at Money 2020 today. With that said, I left all the goodness in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and all the other things I'm supposed to remind you to do in your favorite podcast app. And if you want our weekly emails, go to forfintechsake.com and subscribe there. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and wait. Who's Neil Young? See y'all.